good to be in the house of the Lord. Jesus knew all our sins, saved us anyway. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. I want to just reiterate what Michaela said about life groups. If you're not in a life group, we really encourage you to do so. Life groups aren't book studies or, or intense Bible studies or anything like that. We have Sunday school for Bible studies. They're, they're really just disciples doing life together, um, learning how to walk with Jesus together. And it's something that we need. Um, we, we have to have discipling relationships. All of us do. So we encourage you to do that um, and contact us. We'd love to get you hooked up. If you've got your Bible with you, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. If you are tired of hearing about Jesus being our high priest who represents us before the Father by his perfect sacrifice, I got bad news. That's the next three chapters is pretty much about that. So we're going to be hearing about it um, a lot as we continue working our way through the book of, of Hebrews. Uh, somebody asked me this week, uh, somebody from Tennessee called me, asked me, what are you preaching on this week? I, I think I'm going to preach on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> so we, we, we went through the first 22, chapter, uh, first 22 verses last week, and um, they were tough. They were tough, and they were dense. This one's going to be a little more straightforward as we come to the, to the conclusion of the argument, if you will. But we also talked about the fact, you know, talking about needing a priest to represent us before God, it, the, the whole idea seems strange to us, especially if you've grown up in the Christian faith and around uh, uh, Christian families and in church. Uh, we know that we, we, we go to Jesus. We go straight to the Lord, straight to the throne of grace. So having another intercede for us, having another person intercede for us, that, that, the whole idea is just foreign to us. When we read through like the end of, of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and those, those books, they're, they're filled with all these details about how priests in the tabernacle were to function and what kind of sacrifices they were to bring and when they were to bring them and, and how they were to be presented and for all the different reasons they were to be brought and different kinds of grain and, and, and oil and animals and all the things that they're... It, sometimes it's hard for us to even read through that because we get lost in all the details of the regulations and the requirements and all the things that had to happen. But the point of the last part of Exodus and Leviticus is that sinful people cannot enter into the presence of a holy God. So... Every little tiny detail must be absolutely perfect because God's holiness is perfect. So God provided all of these things that we read about in those books to cover Israel's sins so he could dwell with them. And those things also pointed to the perfection in Christ that would come. So in the Hebrews' mind, with this book is written to professing Hebrew Christians, you know, a priest offering a sacrifice was needed. I mean, that's part and parcel of who they were. You know, the priest was central to the identity of the Hebrews for well over a thousand years, commanded by God. And the Hebrew Christians that this book is written to, they had turned to Jesus. They had trusted in Jesus, made a profession of faith in Jesus, but they were being tempted to go back to Judaism. They were tempted to go back to the old law and the old covenant, to go back to their previous life and their, their, the old religion. 
And the reason was they wanted to free themselves from this prolonged persecution that they were suffering. Uh, Later in Hebrews 10, we'll read again, I think we've read it a few times as we walk through Hebrews, about how they were being persecuted and losing their property and it was being taken from them. They were being imprisoned. All of that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10. Following Jesus had brought them suffering. It had brought them pain from the world and from their Jewish family and friends, calling them to come back to this religion, these uh, ceremonies, the, the traditions that they had always known throughout their lives and the lives of their grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. Uh, following Jesus had become hard. And Hebrews is written to show them, to tell them Jesus is better. Jesus is superior to the priests and the tabernacle and Moses and Aaron and all of the sacrifices and all of the things that, that characterize that old covenant. There's nothing to go back to, is what the writer of Hebrews has been telling them. Jesus is better than the temple. He's better than the priests, better than the sacrifices, better than even a life without persecution. Jesus is better than a life without suffering and trial. All of those things is what the writer of Hebrews is, is, is telling them. And he's going to spend a lot of ink showing that Jesus is the only priest that can save you perfectly and forever. The Son of God became man, lived perfectly according to the law of God, gave his life as our sacrificial lamb, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven in power and glory as God and man forever. And just as the old high priest did in the tabernacle, Jesus entered into the real holy of holies in heaven, the throne room of a holy God. And he did so to represent us, his people, as our perfect priest, offering a perfect sacrifice in his own blood. So even today, every sinner needs a priest. All of us. Every one of us needs a mediator, an advocate, somebody to represent us before a holy God. To represent us with a sacrifice to atone for our sin. And we have the only perfect priest who is able to save to the uttermost, Jesus Christ. When we left off in verse 22 in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, it said Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Let's read, I want to, we're going to do 23 through 28, the end of chapter 7, but I want to back up in our reading and start in verse 20, so we kind of get a run and start at it. In verse 20, it says this, and it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests, he's talking about the Levite priests in the old covenant, were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, and this is a quote from Psalm 110.4, we've seen it many times in Hebrews already, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And the next line in Psalm 110 says, in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, this makes Jesus a guarantee of a better covenant. And then our text for today says, the former priest, the Levites, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, meaning because he lives forever, because he continues forever as our priest, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This is why, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The last verse in the chapter says, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, the oath we just read, verse 21, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you'd be with us today. We know that nothing, nothing will change, nothing will, um, uh, nothing will impact us unless your spirit moves today in your word. God, we pray that you would speak and that you would show us what you'd have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin chapter 7, we've already worked through the first 22 verses. But the writer went into much detail, proving to us over the first part of chapter 7, Jesus is the high priest superior to all the Levitical priests, all the Levites, all the Old Covenant priests. He showed us that the Old Covenant, the, the sacrifices, the priests, they were never supposed to be permanent, but they pointed to the fulfillment that God had always intended in Jesus the Son. He told us that by showing us this mysterious man, Melchizedek, back in Genesis, saying, that kind of priest was always foretold. God always intended it. And then he ended in the last section of last week, verse 22, saying Jesus is the guarantor, the guarantor of a new covenant. And as we pick up in verse 23, the writer now comes to his conclusion. After uh, he's better than all these Levitical priests, he comes to the conclusion of that, ar of that argument saying Jesus is the only one who can meet our need and the only one who can save us perfectly, something no one else has ever been able to do or will ever be able to do. Jesus is able to save his people completely because first he lives forever as our priest. He says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Here the writer is given one more reason why Jesus is superior to the old covenant priest, to the Levitical priest that these Hebrews are thinking about going back to. The priests in the old covenant are inferior to Christ because death overcame them all. No priest, not even Aaron, who God chose first to be the priest under the Levitical system, lasted more than a lifetime. I mean, through, through Israel's history, there were lots of high priests. And there were literally thousands upon thousands of just regular priests. And in every single case, their priesthood ended in death. At death, they no longer represented the people with sacrifices anymore. They no longer represented the people before God with offerings. When they died, they had to be replaced. And another would take their office. They would raise up whole generations of Levites that would fill those offices when, when they died. And there were good priests and there were bad priests, but they all died and they all had to be replaced. Yet because the Son of God became man, gave his life on the cross, rose from the dead in victory and glory and ascended to the throne of the Father, he is alive forevermore today as God and man and continues to be our priest today. He holds his priesthood, he says, permanently. Because he lives forever as both God and man. 
Right now, Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, forever our advocate, forever our mediator, forever our high priest. And there will never be a need for him to pass that office on to any other. Jesus is our perfect and complete mediator, our representative forever, because he continues as a priest forever, both God and man. And because he holds the priesthood permanently, because he holds it permanently, continues forever, exalted at the Father's right hand, look at the conclusion that the author draws in verse 25. Consequently, because of this, because he holds this office permanently and he ever lives, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, the priest... This priest, Jesus, is able to do what none before him and none after him can do. He's able to save to the uttermost. The word translated uttermost can either mean completely and perfectly or it can mean for all time and forever. Both ideas are found in the context of chapter 7. So I think both are intended in the word. He is able to save completely, perfectly, leaving nothing undone, leaving nothing unfinished. There is is nothing that needs to be added to the work of salvation that he has accomplished. There's nothing that needs to be added to his deliverance that he has given. There's no sacrifice, no offering, no works, nothing we can do to complete the salvation as if it was unfinished that our perfect high priest accomplished in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. His death and resurrection perfectly and fully and completely fulfills our salvation and nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away from it. And because he continues forever as our high priest, as the one offering his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, God and man, he's able to save for all time forever. He lives forever as God and man interceding on his people's behalf by his righteous life, by his atoning sacrifice, the perfection of his salvation, of what he has accomplished for you, believer, will never be lessened. It'll never be marred. It'll never be corrupted. It'll never need refurbishing. It'll never need shoring up. There is nothing you can do to add or take away from it. That's that's good news for you and for me. That means on the day that you fail miserably, I'm talking to believers now. If you haven't trusted in Christ, just check out for the next few minutes. I ain't talking to you. But believers in Christ, when you fail miserably, when you sin, when your heart turns a different direction, when you... When you, when you don't keep the law as you, as you desire to do because you have a new heart, you have taken nothing from the perfection that he has given you because it didn't have anything to do with you in the first place. And believer, when you live your best day and you are holier than you have ever been before and you're doing everything right And you're just, I mean, God is so, it must be so pleased with me because I am doing great today. And I have fulfilled everything that I possibly can and possibly know about what God wants me to do and be. You have added nothing 
to the perfection that Jesus Christ has given. That's good news. We can rest. And it's forever. Your eternal life don't start when you die. It started already if you're a believer in Christ. After 18 billion years in glory, in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll wake up that next day and we'll still owe everything. Our standing, our life in glory to Jesus Christ alone. He's able to save perfectly to the uttermost what no other can do. There is no other mediator that can intercede for you before a holy God. No other. He saves to the uttermost because he always and forever lives to make intercession for you. Intercede means just, you know, acting or speaking on behalf of somebody else. Jesus, our high priest, is seated at the throne of glory, representing us, advocating for us, praying for us, presenting his righteous life and his sacrificial once-for-all offering for us. Right now, if you're born again through the gospel, your life, your soul, your name is represented perfectly before the Father by your high priest, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the high priest wore an ephod, and it had all kind of stuff on it. We walked through Exodus, and we talked about all of that on Wednesday nights. But there were jewels on it that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed upon them. So in a very real sense, when he put on that ephod and he went into the Holy of Holies, he carried the people with him. Their names were upon him. In the tabernacle. So when he made sacrifice, he was doing it on their behalf as their names were inscribed upon his ephod. He was their representative. He stood in for them and the sacrifice he offered was for them. Jesus lives forever as God and man, your high priest advocating and interceding for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your names are written upon his wounds. Your names are written upon his life and his death. And our high priest remains there forever. Later in Hebrews, he's going to say he sat down. The work he, has, the work he had to do is accomplished. He did what no priest had ever done. Sat down in the holy of holies. Our, our priest remains there forever. Enthroned, glorified, and accepted perfectly as he has brought us with him. The Father sees you. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been born again. The Father sees you through the person and the work of His Son. And because His justice and holiness has been satisfied in Jesus' once-for-all death, His righteous life, and His enthronement on high, He looks at you as His own Son. Now we look into our own hearts and we say, man, who I'm, I'm sinful, I'm wicked, I'm a failure, I'm all the things. How can God see me that way? He can see you that way because you've been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you've been united to Jesus Christ. So that, can you imagine when Jesus Christ entered into the throne room at his ascension? Imagine what the Father said to him. You think the father said, well, you did pretty good, man, but there was one or two things that we need to talk about. You know, we need to have a conversation. You you didn't really, of course not. 
Angels in heaven glorified him. He sat down in victory and power. That's how the Lord sees you. Why? Because you're so good? No, you're not good, and neither am I, because you have a high priest who represents you. Jesus intercedes for his people. He's interceding today, right now, for you. Believer, the same love that led him to lay his life down for you as a sacrifice is the love he still has for his people as he intercedes continually as their priest forever. And because of this, we have such assurance that our salvation, our acceptance is eternally secure and complete. But look in this verse, verse 25, who he saves to the uttermost. It's those who draw near to God through him. There is no other way. We draw near to God through him by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, by faith alone, being continually dependent upon his intercession alone, upon his death and his resurrection alone. The writer is telling these Hebrew Christians, listen, there is no other mediator you can go to. You don't need any other mediator to stand between you and God to, to, to work some kind of extra, extra blessing or extra works or extra effort that you need. There is nothing else needed than the once for all mediation, the high priest that you've been given in Jesus you don't need anything else. And to seek after something else or someone else is an insult to the person and the work of Christ. That's why we don't pray to Mary or pray to the saints. We don't need any human being alive or dead to bring us to God. Jesus Christ does it perfectly and fully. Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for his people. What could be a greater truth than that? Nothing and no one else is sufficient to be in right relationship with God. We must be saved to the uttermost. There cannot be any hint, any stain, any of the tiniest of sins upon our account. And the only one who can wipe that clean is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Our sin separates us from God, places us under the judgment, the condemnation of God. Remember, that's the whole point of the priests and the tabernacle and the sacrifices. and All those old covenant elements were intended to provide a way for a holy God to dwell with sinful human beings. When God came down on Mount Sinai in Exodus, he warned Moses. He said, don't let anybody touch this mountain. Don't even let your animals run loose and touch this mountain because when I descend on the mountain, if anybody touches it, they die. Even the priests entering in the tabernacle, if they enter the wrong way or without the proper sacrifice or the proper offering, they die. There's several examples. Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10, they died. They offered strange fire on the altar and God shot fire out from the altar and burned them up. It was a terrifying thing for the high priest once a year to enter into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for the people. He had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin before he could ever even get close to the Holy of Holies and enter and, and offer sacrifice for the people. And if anything was wrong, anything he did in there wrong, he died. 
And the sacrifice he offered for his own sin before entering into the tabernacle to sacrifice for the people, it went on year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, until now, one who lives forever and continues as a priest forever, our representative has come and he is able to save and deliver Perfectly, everyone who would enter the presence of a holy God through him by trusting in Jesus and being born again by the Spirit, we're united with our high priest. So his righteousness is ours and our sin has been washed away, paid in full by his death. The salvation he has given, it's amazing. It's beyond our wildest comprehension. He saved you, believer, to the uttermost. Do you understand? He saved us from all of our sin. All of them. He saved you from sins that you don't even realize you have. You know, you've heard me say it a million times. Every time you don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're sinning. This, the things that we do and don't do. And just in daily life, the way we think in daily life, the way we talk in daily life, the things that, you know, you could probably go through your mind, you could think of several sins that I'm committing or that I have committed or that I need to work on or that I need to do better. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you think you are or I think I am, you're a whole lot worse. You don't even know the depth of your sin and wickedness in your heart and how often you have by omission broken the law of God. But he knows, and as we sang, he saved you anyway. He saved you to the uttermost. So 20 years from now, when you wake up and realize there has been a sin dwelling in your heart all this time and you haven't even realized it, he knew and he saved you to the uttermost. He saved you from the sins you haven't even committed yet. He knows the wickedness of our hearts that we don't even fully comprehend. And yet, the scripture could say he saves to the uttermost. Perfectly, completely, fully, every sin. That's amazing. That is amazing. I wish I had some more adjectives. I'd throw them in there because that is amazing. He saves to the uttermost because he is our perfect priest, but he's also our perfect sacrifice. Verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the, above the heavens. He has no need, he says, like those high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, two kinds, first for his own sin, second, then for those of the people. Why? Since he did this once for all when he offered up what? Himself. When the text says it was fitting to have such a high priest, it, it means really that he, he is a priest fitted to us. It means he's the kind of priest that we need. If you have an NIV in front of you, it says such a high priest truly meets our needs. That's the intent. And then he describes Jesus, our high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And the point of all this exalted and lofty language, this, this holy and perfect language about Jesus is not just to show us that, that you know, he's admirable. He's, he, he's worthy of our praise. It's to show us that he is able to perfect, 
sinners because he himself is sinless. He's able to be the priest that sinners need and to do so perfectly. He's all the things that we're not. But he's all the things that we have to be if we're going to be accepted by God. What kind of priest do we need? We need one that's perfect. We need one perfect to represent us before a holy God. The Old Testament high priests were far from perfect. They were sinners just like everybody else. If you go back through the, the annals of, of Jewish history, there were good high priests and there were bad high priests. And they were, you know, some were really good high priests, but they were all sinners. So before the high priest could go into the holy place and make atonement, his own sin had to be covered with sacrifice. And just like everyone else, that sacrifice had to be repeated for the high priest over and over and over again. There, it could never make anyone perfect. The high priest's sacrifice could never make anyone perfect. After every sacrifice was made, you always knew, I'll be back. It's not finished. I'll have to bring another one. And another one, and another one. Yet our high priest is by, very, by his very nature holy and innocent and unstained with the sin of the world. Separate from sinners. Jesus never sinned in word, thought, or deed. And he, and he needed no atonement. No, no sacrifice for his own sin because he had none. By his nature he's unstained and undefiled. Though he traveled through this fallen world just like we do. We need a priest, not only sinless and perfect, but we need a priest exalted in the heavens who, who is present in the Holy of Holies, the real Holy of Holies, to represent human beings, to bring us into the relationship with the Father, which we were designed for, but can't, we can't achieve because of our sin. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh, died for sin, rose from the grave, and as God and man, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now, for the rest of eternity, the Son is exalted as both God and man, a real human being, has been exalted in the heavens, taken his place at the throne of God, and is our priest, our intercessor. Our forerunner so that where he is we will go to be with him Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you if I go I'll come again I'll receive you unto myself that where I am there you will be also but how is that possible how is it even possible that the perfect sinless son of God could bring a sinner like me to where he is look at the end of verse 27 he did it once for all when he offered up himself. He brings us by the perfect once for all sacrifice of himself. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The Old Testament high priest brought the blood of bulls and goats into the holy place. They, they could never fully do away with sin. Jesus entered with a perfect sacrifice, his own blood so the atoning sacrifice that he has offered on our behalf is perfect, it's complete, and it's effective for all time. The sacrifice of himself fulfilled all of God's justice and atoned perfectly forever the sin of his people. His offering never needs to be repeated for the people, for you, for me. The perfect priest has given the perfect infinite sacrifice that does away with sin for all time by one offering. That's amazing. 
Hear this statement with the ears of the Hebrews that would have first read this letter, that are being tempted to go back to the Old Covenant. By Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice, he ended the sacrificial system. There can never be another offering that is necessary or accepted to make you right with God. There can never be another sacrifice, never be another offering, never be another work. The list of mediators and priests and offerings and works and sacrifices comes to an end when you find Jesus or when Jesus finds you, let's say. There's no other route that you can take to be accepted by God. You can add nothing to what he has done. You can take away nothing that he has done. It is all of him. Any other way that mankind tries to come to God can only bring destruction and judgment. When you draw near to God through Jesus, entrusting yourself to this high priest and his sacrifice, you can rest. It is finished. He is the guarantor of a new covenant and lives forever as your priest interceding for you. Your name is written upon his wounds. It, if Jesus, picture this. Now, this is not true, but this is a good illustration. Picture this. If Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies at his ascension and he put on the ephod of the high priest, he didn't and he didn't need to, but let's just, let's just, just go with me. And those jewels on the... Your name is written on those. Your name is written upon him as he enters into the presence of God. He is representing you. And just in case you haven't got the message yet, the writer of Hebrews reminds us again of what he said earlier in chapter 7. That Jesus is the son that is appointed by God the Father's oath. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, the oath he's referring to is what we read earlier in verse 21. It's Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is important. It's been quoted four times in the last three chapters of Hebrews. He said in Psalm 110... Verse 21 of, of chapter 7, he quoted again and said, But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who, to whom he said, The Lord has sworn. The Lord has sworn. Earlier he said he's sworn by himself. And he will not change his mind. You are a priest. A priest forever. He's telling the Hebrews, Look, you guys want to go back to the law and the ceremony of the old covenant, back to old religion, thinking that you'll have an easier life and it'll be free of persecution and free of suffering. And you think you can go back to serving and living for God through the old way, through the old priests. He says, that is leaving the service of God. To go back to the old, there's nothing to go back to. You're departing from God. The law appointed Levites as the priests. We saw that before in earlier part of chapter 7. Fallen men in their weakness, sinful men, appointed Levites as priests. You want to go back to that after God gave his sworn oath that he has appointed his own son as your perfect priest forever. Notice the writer says in Hebrews in that last verse, he says the oath came after the law. 
The writer's telling them the, 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 if the law and the priests and the old covenant and all of that was sufficient and able to save, why did the Holy Spirit through David in Psalm 110 later foretell of another kind of priest who would come continue forever in the order of Melchizedek? And the point he's making is the same one we saw last week. It has always been God's intention to bring forth his son as the perfect fulfillment. And he has sworn by an oath that he would be a priest forever. God has given the utmost assurance that our salvation is secure. That our priest has completed the work and it's done forever. And he is a priest forever. Believer, you can rest in him. But what does it mean that he's made perfect? We saw that before earlier in, in Hebrews. He's picking back up the argument that he made in chapter 5 verses 8 through 10. Remember that? Of course you don't, but it's okay. Well, it's been a while since we've been in Hebrews 5. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, this is what perfect means, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's not that the son, the divine eternal son, was imperfect before... But because he became fully human, took on a human nature, the Son of God suffered. He suffered in life. He suffered in this world. He suffered on the cross. He suffered in obeying the Father's design for him to go. If it be possible, take this cup from me. And he was perfected as God and man to be the kind of savior that we must have, the sacrifice that we must have, the high priest that we must have if we are going to be reconciled to God. The father appointed his son as a priest and sacrifice to save us. So by humbling himself to take on a human nature, the eternal son was made perfect as the mediator, the savior and the high priest that we need, both God and man. The father himself appointed the son to become man, to die, to rise, so that we would have a perfect savior able to represent us before him. His death and resurrection paid the penalty for us. And as God and man seated at the throne of glory, Jesus still intercedes today. His death and resurrection and exaltation happened 2,000 years ago before any of us were born. But his intercession is just as powerful for us today as it was in the first century. Today, Christ is our high priest interceding for his people. And his intercession is perfect. It's eternal. It's effective but his intercession is only for those who draw near to God through him. Have you done that? Entrust yourself to Jesus and your name will be recorded in the book of life. Recorded in his wounds that they were made for you. Recorded upon his perfect life that will be given to you. The assurance of your acceptance before God is eternal and unchanging and perfect. You can add nothing to it. So believer, you can rest. There is nothing more that you can or you must do to be right with God. God will grow you in holiness. 
The Spirit will war against your flesh for the rest of your time on this earth. And it will be a battle and you will fail often and you will succeed often. But none of that adds to your standing in Jesus Christ. You're accepted and God's purpose is being done in your life. If you have not trusted your life to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you can do. You cannot walk out of here and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to live more rightly. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to do all the religious things. I'm going to start praying every day. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. None of that. All of your efforts, all of your works, all of your prayers, all of your religious activities, they are useless and vain to make you right with God. As a believer, they are essential to help you grow in Christ. But to make you right with God is Jesus Christ's alone job. You must have a mediator to go before you and present a perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the only one that qualifies. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one will come to the Father unless they go through him. But we also have the grand truth, the grand invitation that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Run to him today. Run to him in your sin, in your trials, in your everything. No matter where you are in your life, go to him from right there. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to make it better. You don't have to clean it up. Go to him from right where you are. And entrust yourself to Him. Give yourself to Him. Trust in Jesus that He died for your sin. That He paid for your penalty. And that He stands in heaven today interceding for you. And you will be saved. Your high priest will intercede for you. For all eternity. Trust in Him. Give Him your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for... Just the gospel of your salvation. God, it, it, we can never get to the bottom of the depths of its riches and beauty and glory. And we cannot praise you enough sufficiently for who you are and for what you have done for us. God, you are so, so good to us. God, I pray as believers in here that you would help us to walk in what you have given that you would help us to mold and shape our hearts by drawing near to you, knowing that we can, not on our own merit, but because we have a high priest. God, we need you. We need to draw close to you to walk out this life. And God, if there's any here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, never given you their heart and life, God, I pray that you would show them the cross. Show them the resurrection. Show them Jesus, that he died for them, that he died to pay the price for sin, that he rose from the grave to give life, God, and that you would draw their heart to call upon your name for salvation. Father, I pray that you would move and your kingdom would expand in our hearts and lives today and in people coming to know the living God. Father, we love you, and we pray that you do your will amongst us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand right down here. I'd love to pray with you if you want to come. If you want to come and make a profession of faith public, we would love to rejoice with you. Um, as we stand to sing, you come.